Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom. Welcome to B'nai My name is Ephraim Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and we thank you for joining us for our Erev Shabbat broadcast, where we will have uh, worship, Kiddush, we will set apart the Sabbath, and we will have our Torah teaching for this week. From our family to yours, thank you for inviting us into your home and making us a part of your week. A couple of announcements that we have here uh, for the ministry. Um, right now, uh, we are still taking, we have a few spots left for Camp Yeshua, our Messianic Youth Summer Camp that's coming up uh, July 14th through the 18th. And so we have a few spots left. Also, if you, um, if your heart leads, uh, if you'd like to be a part of that youth camp in a way of uh, financially helping some youth come to uh, Camp Yeshua. Some youth uh, don't have the financial means to pay for the full registration. Uh, if you'd like to help support that and help a child have a once-in-a-lifetime experience at youth camp, you can make a donation to the Lynn Judah Memorial Fund, and uh, the ch- kids greatly appreciate that, and it's, like I said, a once-in-a-lifetime experience to meet so many other youth that believe like they do. Um, so we encourage you, if you'd like to be a part of that, please prayerfully consider making a, a donation to that. Also, we're uh, still in the month of January, we, where we are renewing our monthly Yavo subscription. We have a free monthly publication that Lionel Land Ministries has been publishing since uh, April of 1995, and it's been free uh, for many years, always has been. Um, so if you'd like to receive that publication in the mail or via email, please renew your subscription. Go to yavomagazine.com, and we'll continue to send that to you. And as always, that's been free, but it's supported by donations. So if you would prayerfully consider donating to that, that we would greatly appreciate that. And then also, we have our Shavuot conference coming up June 7th through 9th. It'll be hosted in Dallas, Texas, a Messianic Hebrew Roots hotel conference. Um, if you have registered for that, we encourage you to make your hotel reservations. We have a block of rooms uh, for that event. So if you haven't already, please make your uh, hotel reservations uh, with the hotel. All the details are at ShavuotEvent.com. Also, registration is still open for that as well. So if you are still considering joining us there for that event there in North Texas, uh, we encourage you. We'd love to see all the brethren there. So looking forward to all the events coming up this year. Also, as we uh, get ready to do Passover and start up the new feast cycle, uh, we are encouraged and blessed uh, each and every year as we turn the year over and look forward to what the Lord is doing uh, for us and for the kingdom each and every year. Once again, thank you for joining us here for our Arab Shabbat broadcast. Now, let us set apart and sanctify the Sabbath with the Kiddush and the family blessings.
Shabbat Shalom. We're the Judah family and welcome to our home. Please join us as we usher in the Sabbath. commandments and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing Amen. over the cup. Baruch HaTadonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Amen. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Now the Hamotzi, blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. <laughs> Husbands, let's bless our wives. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our wonderful wives that you've given to us, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for beautiful wives of Proverbs. Thank you, Lord, for my wife and the blessing that she is to our home and to our family. Bless her, encourage her, and strengthen her as she teaches and educates the children, as she wakes up in the morning to take care of them and see about the ways of the household. Father, I thank you for the wonderful blessing she is to me and to our home. I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her and pour out your very best blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. So we love you and bless you and thank you for all of these things, Lord. In Yeshua's name, amen. amen. Now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. <laughs> now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu et Arnai Ham Vorach. 
Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Micha Mocha. Micha Mocha Ba'elim Adonai Micha Mocha Nedahar Ba'chodesh Nohorat Echilot Now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech ha'olam, asher natan lanu et derech ha'yeshua b'mashiach yeshua. All together. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et ha-shabbat, la'asot et ha-shabbat l'adrotam b'rit olam, b'nei avayom b'nei Yisrael othi l'olam, k'sheshet yamim asadonai et ha-shamayim v'et ha-aret v'yom ha-shavi shabbat v'yinafash. All together. The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you'd all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kivod Malchuto, Le'olam Vayed, Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai ochecha b'chol levavcha uv'chol nashicha, uv'chol meodecha, v'heyu ha'devarim ha'ale asher nechim e'zavcha ha'yom alevavcha, v'shinantam lavenecha, 
Altogether. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
God is what our hearts are for to be overcome by your presence, Lord, by your presence, Lord, by your presence, Lord.
If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, to chapter 18, where our Torah portion will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, I will do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch Eloheinu melech haolam, asher b'charbanu mikol ha'amim, venatan lanu et torato, baruch ha'adonai nonten ha'torah ha'amein. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is entitled Yithro, which uh, comes from the first verse of chapter 18 of Exodus, where it says, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all God had done for Moses and for Israel his people. And so this is the story in which... We've now entered into the wilderness, um, and Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, this is where Moses fled into the wilderness, into the land of Midian, after he had killed the Egyptian, and he came across Jethro. Also in the scripture, he has other names, uh, Reul, if you've ever heard that name before as well. That was a name for Jethro as well. And he comes, and he there we have a family reunion of sorts, where Jethro will come also with Moses' wife, Zipporah, with, that he had dismissed on his way back to Egypt when God had called him through the burning bush to return to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let the people go. There's a story where he dismissed his wife and sent her back with his children back to Jethro. And here in the story, Jethro comes back with his wife and Moses is reunited with his wife and his two sons. It's very interesting here in our Torah portion. This is one of the most impactful Torah portions in all of the Torah cycle. In fact, it's the commentary on this Torah portion specifically outweighs almost every other Torah portion, mainly because our Torah portion includes Exodus chapter 20, which would include, of course, the Ten Commandments and the giving of the law from Mount Sinai by the Lord to the children of Israel. But before we get to that, we have the story of Jethro coming to meet with Moses. It's a great honor to Jethro that his name is used as the title of this Torah portion. If we look at Jethro's name, the meaning of his name means his abundance. And so here we have the abundance of God, the abundance of God's blessing upon the children of Israel is a theme throughout this entire Torah portion. So what happens here, let me go ahead and read uh, when they meet each other. Let me go ahead and fast forward to verse 17 of Exodus 18. And let's see how this interaction with Moses and with Jethro go. It says this, So Moses went down to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their well-being. And they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced. 
for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, and in the very thing in which they behaved proudly. He was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and offered sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. This is where uh, the rabbis say, and you can kind of pick up from the language here, that Jethro had become a believer in the God of Israel at this time. Jethro was a sheikh of Midian and he had, was known throughout the ancient world and he was a man that probably, he kind of got around. It was in extra-biblical texts, we believe Jethro met with Pharaoh and that he was well-known throughout the region. And in the process of doing that, you, you kind of can't get to that level of status without pretty much entreating other gods and other people's cultures and other people's belief systems. And so we believe that he kind of believed in kind of all things. But when he heard the stories of what the God of Israel had done to the Egyptians... When he heard of the plagues, when he heard, it says Moses shared all of these things. Also, everything that happened along the way. We're talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. We're talking about water from the rock. We're talking about manna. They sat, they ate, and they drank. What did they eat? Well, it's like, here, come check out this. This is this manna stuff that comes from heaven every single day. And we pick it up off the ground. And he's like, wow, look at this. And he tries it, and it tastes like wafers uh, cooked in oil, and it's delicious. And it's like all of these things. Jethro, then he saw and he became a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The rabbis will say he became a convert at this time when he made this confession and when he then also brought uh, burnt offerings to offer before God. And so this is this sort of amazing thing of, of somebody coming into the faith after hearing of the miracles that God had performed. So this is kind of a, a very interesting story of Jethro being this new believer, even though he's older, even though he's older than Moses, it shows that it's, it's, irregardless of age, does somebody become this new believer and becomes joined in and brought in as part of the family. So since Jethro is now in, he's a, now definitely, he's a part of the family. He already was by marriage. Now he is by faith. He then is then around to observe kind of what's going on in the ins and outs of the camp of Israel. So then he witnesses this. Verse 13 of chapter 18, it says this. And so it was on the next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing which you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God 
for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them, show them the way in which they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times. In hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went on his way to his own land. Here is the counsel that comes from Jethro. Good counsel that goes to Moses, where Moses, he's, he's a little green as a leader here in, the, in this case. Again, once again, God called Moses, and we've said and, and mentioned with Moses that God didn't necessarily call the most qualified guy to lead all the children of Israel out of Egypt. Again, he, this guy had a speech impediment. He didn't really speak very good. His experience, he grew up in the household of Pharaoh, and then he was a shepherd for a while, and then it, he, he's coming back to lead all the whole house of Israel. And I'm sure among the children of Israel, there were more qualified people that probably could have led the children of Israel. And we're thinking of the human concept of who, what we perceive to be more qualified. This, of course, is the pattern of the Lord when he chooses a leader. He does not always choose the most qualified, but what he does is he anoints the person who he chooses to lead, and then over time he qualifies the leader that he has chosen. That's the pattern that God uses. And over time we see the maturation of Moses as a leader. As he grows, as he learns, he's doing, he's trying to do everything himself. Here he sits and he judges all the people in all the matters. Small matters, big matters. A couple of brothers have a little dispute or a little spat and they would come to Moses and say, you know, rule on this between this, this disagreement that we have. And it's like, this is a small thing. This should be able to be handled by others. And I'm sure that, and this happened from, from morning until evening and it was this big long line out of the door of Moses for him to be judging between every single one of these matters. You can picture it kind of in that line that by the time somebody got in line to to have Moses judge them in the matter, they probably were arguing so much they probably had four, five more things to debate by the time they got to Moses to ask him a question. And then he'd probably, Moses would answer a question and they'd get out and then they'd start leaving and by the time they'd reach the end of the line they probably had another dispute and another question they'd get right back in line to have Moses judge on it again. This is obviously a system that is not a very wise one to have. Jethro, being very wise, old, he'd kind of been around the block a few times, he is the one that delivers this advice. Now, this advice was good. No doubt about it. This, exactly, this was good. There's absolutely nothing in Scripture that says, oh, well, this advice came from Jethro, but God had another plan. No, this, this was good advice. Now, why doesn't our Scripture simply say, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Moses, 
Do this when you organize the camp, set captains of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. Why didn't this advice come from God? Well, here's the, the, what I get out of this in this story and something that we can learn from one another in all of our interactions is that sometimes the word of the Lord, good advice, good counsel, does not just come in you know, some flashing neon sight, a sign that comes from God or God thundering his voice down to give this sort of advice. Sometimes good counsel comes from others, even new believers, somebody who has just come into the faith, just walked through your door, has the ability to be immediately used by God. Jethro is the example in our story today. So for us, in the modern day, we have our congregations, we have our fellowships, we meet new brethren all the time. You never know where the word of the Lord is going to come from, from our fellow brethren. It can come from somebody new who just walked in the door. It can come from somebody old who has a great deal of counsel or life experience. Even if their experience is in the world, the counsel is still good. That is the lesson that we can learn from Jethro here. And this is how God speaks to us. This is exactly what we, we need to keep our eyes open at all times to see what is the Lord trying to tell us. Many people have a testimony that God does not audibly speak to them. That some that people, believers for years and years and years will say and confess that they've never audibly heard the voice of God. Some have testimonies where they did at some point in their life. They audibly sensed and heard the voice of God. But for many, it is, that is not the case. We have to always discover as a believer for ourselves, how does God speak to us? For many people, my counsel has been, and this is uh, true for my testimony as well, those closest around me, people who I trust, people who I know have my best interests in mind, when they speak to me and they say something, my spirit will just, will just ring a bell and I'll know when I hear something from a friend that, that is good counsel. You know what? That a piece of advice, I can trust that that's from the Lord. And the Lord uses people and fellow believers to do that. Now, so I would encourage all brothers, uh, all brethren, to find out how does God speak to you. In the case of Moses here, this is, we, we do know that God spoke to Moses directly. Many of us don't have the same testimony of Moses that, you know, he checked out, went to a mountain, and God had conversations with him. And so many of us don't have maybe the exact testimony that Moses has. However, in this particular instance, this is where we can see an instance where God uses even a new believer to speak good counsel, even to the leader of the whole congregation of Israel. Now, also, this, uh, this whole concept of choosing leaders, delegating people, people who have a heart to know and understand the words of God. These are people, this is good counsel for anyone in leadership as far as who to look for, who to co-labor with, who to put in charge of various things. Have those men, they need to fear God. They need to be men of truth. They need to hate covetousness. They need to be very unbiased in any of their decisions. And that is the counsel and that's the stipulations for who to choose for these particular Positions. This will be continued and reiterated also into the book of Deuteronomy where we'll talk about the appointment of judges within, uh, within gates when the children of Israel will go into the promised land, establish cities, establish government, and there are stipulations and guidelines for how to choose good leaders for them to judge and rule over the people.
And so it begins here in Exodus, and that's something that we learn from not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well, on how to choose good leaders. Now, our Torah portion continues on after this advice had been given, after Jethro departs. Now we have the uh, chapter 19, which is in my, I like to call the preamble to the covenant that God made with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. Like I said, in Exodus 20, that's when we will have the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, the Ten Judgments that will come from God, that He will speak audibly with His voice from the mountain for all of the children of Israel to hear. Chapter 19 is the preamble to that covenant. And I'll just go ahead and, and, and break the mold here and explain what's really going on. God is making covenant with the children of Israel. And there is a preparation Preparation that has to be done, and there are stipulations and guidelines and rules and, and things that have to be said, vows that have to be made for a covenant to be established. And that is what we have in Exodus chapter 19. I also love the progression of how this works for the children of Israel. In our first chapter, we're talking about just creating some better organization within the camp of the children of Israel. That is necessary before we now get to chapter 19. We have to establish order. God is not a God of chaos. God is a God of order. We have to establish structure, guidelines, so that there is peace within the camp. The, believe you me, the judges being established in the camp of Israel were necessary to create peace throughout the entire camp, also to create a system of communication within the camp, where Moses can say one thing to these leaders, to these captains of thousands. The captains of thousands can tell it to their captains of hundreds, and the hundreds can tell it to their captains of fifties, and they can communicate throughout the camp. This established order is necessary and is a step so that we subsequently can now Form this covenant with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let me read now in Exodus chapter 19. It says this. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountains, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. As I read this, I like to consider this to be the marriage proposal to the children of Israel from God. He wants to choose them, though he is king over all the earth, and all the earth is his. He is choosing the children of Israel to be a special treasure to him. In the same way that a husband or a prospective husband proposes to his bride to say, I am choosing you to prefer you above all others. Will you enter into covenant with me and will you marry me? That is what God is doing here. Very fascinating here. Kind of a question in my mind and in the minds of many teachers where it says this. Say to the house of Jacob, 
and tell the children of Israel. Why are we making a distinction between these two groups of people? Almost like there's these are two names for the same group of people, is it not? The house of Jacob, all those that came from Jacob, but then also the children of Israel. Wait, weren't Jacob and Israel the same person? So what we have here, and many people have speculated exactly what this is, what I believe that this is, is this is a covenant being made with the people that are here, present, physically at Mount Sinai. But we're also talking about a covenant. When God speaks, God has the power to speak outside of time. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he can declare the ends from the beginning. He can also speak to a covenant that he is making with a larger group of people while also speaking a covenant to this group of people who are physically at the mountain. That is what I believe is happening here. When we're talking about the household of Jacob, yes, we're talking about the physical family that came from the loins of Jacob and who he was as a person. We then have the children of Israel, the whole household, the commonwealth of Israel that will extend beyond this generation that we're speaking to here and will extend to all the rest of the earth. That's what I believe this is, is this is a covenant being made that exists outside of time that extends even to all who will later join the household and the commonwealth of Israel. And that's what makes in my mind and in my heart these words even that more that much more powerful as God is speaking these things. Verse 7, so Moses came and called to the elders of the people and laid before them all the words that the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. This is the answer from the children of Israel, the bride of the Messiah, to say, yes, I do. Or yes to the marriage proposal. That is exactly that we have a, it's like a marriage covenant being formed right here. We're reading the ceremony of a wedding right here between the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the children of Israel. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. Now, that's an interesting phrase here. All this time, Moses has been speaking to the children of Israel and said, This is what the Lord said. And many of them might have said, uh, Okay, Moses, how do we know that he's talking to you? I mean, really, God is speaking to you audibly. You're hearing his voice. We haven't heard his voice. But now that we're forming this covenant, specifically God is now saying, I will speak with them, the people will hear, and they will believe you forever that I have spoken through you. This is a very good thing to establish that our scripture, if you think about it, it's actually very good that that verse is even in our scripture. For any people that would come along later and say all these times that it says the Lord spoke to Moses, it will say that quite a bit for the rest of our Torah cycle in the book of Exodus. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's exactly, I mean, almost every Torah portion, almost every passage of scripture in the Torah begins with, and the Lord spoke to Moses. And so to to have that verse, highlighting that verse might be a good idea for you to remember that this is exactly what God did so that you might believe the words of Moses because God made his voice known to the people. And that's exactly what he's going to do here in chapter 19. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. So the Lord said to Moses, go to the people. Consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people 
all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him. But he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, then they shall come near to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, sanctified the people. They washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near to your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very long so all so that all the people who were in the camp trembled and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Let me go ahead and stop there. What we have here now is the plan and the procedure to consecrate the children of Israel now. Now that they have accepted the proposal by God, they are now consecrating themselves, preparing themselves to be the bride to God. Some people, in the course of establishing their own marriage covenant in the wedding ceremony, they have taken some of these words to heart in the way that a, a bride and a groom will choose to refrain from seeing each other for three days prior to their wedding. Just as the children of Israel were consecrated for three days before this interaction actually took place. They washed their clothes. They bathed. They, they took a mikvah bath. That, that's also a ceremony that some people do in the process of getting married. They'll mikvah. They will be clean. They will be ready to receive the covenant. They will be ready to make the covenant. The bride is preparing herself to be married to the groom. And that is the example that we have of the children of Israel. We're doing something that is very holy. It is to be sanctified. We're doing something that is to be very reverent. Moses says even to the men, don't come near to your wives. This is the thing of becoming unclean. This is, again, Torah before it's given actually in our word. It's where it says the things in Leviticus that make someone unclean, unable to enter into the holy sanctuary of God or entering into a place where God's presence is. There are things that would make you unclean, such as a male and a female having relations with each other. That would make someone unclean clean and unavailable to do this ceremony. This is even covered here in our Torah portion as well. This is what is going on. The bride is preparing herself to be holy. Now, when God comes down, when he came down, it was a very frightful thing. There was thunder, there was lightning, there was smoke, the whole mountain quaked, the whole thing was on fire, and all the people trembled. And they were, there was this fear and this trepidation in the people before they went before God. This is very normal. This is a very natural reaction. You can probably ask any bride that has been married on her wedding day, hey, did you have any butterflies in your stomach? Did you tremble? Were you a little afraid before you did it? And I dare say there will not be a bride that would say that, that oh, no, everything was fine. Oh, uh, yeah, I felt, I felt great. No, everybody kind of has this sort of hesitation and butterflies in your stomach. And this is, this is very normal for the children of Israel to do. It's a very natural reaction. The problem is, is that Again, these people were not, they truly, spiritually were not ready for this covenant. 
This was still a kingdom and a people that were slaves not but a couple of months ago. They still had not yet learned to put their whole trust in God. They still had not established this. And so there is still an immaturity with this generation receiving this covenant. It's like a bride that is not ready to get married. And they're afraid and they don't know. And then suddenly the covenant is formed and then they almost they don't know how to operate. They don't know how to act. And there's still a maturity that's a maturing process that needs to happen. Even after someone gets married, a husband and a wife, they kind of learn how to live with each other and how to work these things out. And if truly they somebody, uh, one of those parties in the marriage covenant were not ready to get married, then that's when mistakes happen. That's when, unfortunately, covenants get broken. And that is the summary of the entire covenant that God made with Israel. This generation, these people were not ready for this covenant. They were not. And we have all the stories in the rest of the Torah cycle that prove and show that they did not fully trust and believe in God, that he would be all authority, all protection and safety, and that he would provide all of these things for the children of Israel. And they hence broke the covenant. They broke the covenant. Now, God is so good and God is so gracious that this, that through the prophets and all these stories, even though Israel had committed spiritual adultery against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he still chooses her, chooses her above all others and that he will pursue her even if she has sinned and gone after other gods and gone after other idols. God's love still extends beyond that. That's clear through the rest of our scripture. One thing we need to always remember, God did not divorce Israel. God made covenant and he said this covenant is forever. And he made such a great covenant with Israel that even he keeps the side that Israel had to keep of the covenant. He keeps it for her as well. This is what's being formed here. And that is the power of what is happening right here in our story. Now, as God's voice thundered, from the mountain. It's very understandable why this was very fearful. We have a great description in Psalms chapter 29 of the power of God's voice. That it says that, that God's voice is so powerful that it has the ability to strip trees and it's thunderous and it's loud. Let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 29 and let's read this as it's a great parallel passage to this story as we close our eyes and can picture what the children of Israel experienced when they heard the voice of God from the mountain. Let me read the whole Psalm, Psalm 29. Given to the Lord, O you mighty ones, given to the Lord glory and strength. Given to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Surion like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Amen. What a great passage that is that gives us this idea, this, this physical example of what hearing the voice of the Lord might be. 
Now, in the wilderness where the children of Israel were, we do believe that there actually were trees and there was an abundance in the wilderness. When you think of the entire camp of Israel, all the campfires that they had to have throughout the entire camp, there had to be enough wood out there. So we believe when the children of Israel journeyed in the wilderness, even though today it looks like a barren desert and a barren wasteland, we believe that there were resources enough to sustain the children of Israel, such as wood and forests. However, when the Lord spoke from the mountain, at least the description from the psalmist here, he says that the forests were stripped bare when the power of the voice of the Lord came from the mountain. It says when the voice gave, the deer gave birth. Instantly, if there was an animal that was pregnant or or with a child, that the voice and the power of God would shake them so much that they would immediately go into labor. What power the voice of God has. This would have been very scary. Very scary if you think of just a shockwave just wiping a, a, a landscape clean. This would have been very scary. However, the psalmist says this. He says, in his temple, everyone says glory. And it says that he will give strength to his people, strength to even withstand his voice, and the Lord will bless his people with peace. If you are truly a believer of God, and when God's voice thunders, even though there are things that you would hear and sense and feel that would be worthy of trembling, what instead we have is if you have the sanctuary of God within your heart, and when you go into that holy place, and you hear and you sense and you feel the power of God, you say glory because of it. You rejoice and you worship him for his power and he will give you peace even through the strength and power of his voice. That is what we all need and desire. If God is ever going to utter his voice again for it to be heard, it has to be upon and heard by a people who believe in him, who enter into his presence, believe in his power and the presence of God and what that brings so that we would rejoice and that we would have the peace and we would feel safe even surrounded by such things. That is the type of people that we need to be to hear the voice of God. And that's exactly what all of the rest of the the book of Exodus is all about where we will establish the tabernacle and the temple of God, teaching us how God dwells within his people. The children of Israel were not ready to hear it here, even though that was God's original intention, to enter into their lives, to dwell within their hearts. He originally intended to do that, but unfortunately after this takes place, and as our passage will continue, we will learn that the people were not ready, and that we had to have some other kind of substitute for the delivery of God's presence into the people and also for the words and the commandments of God to be spoken to the children of Israel. And that will be the narrative for the next uh, several Torah portions in the book of Exodus. What we have near here now in Exodus chapter 20, this is the giving of the Ten Commandments. This is this. Uh, passage of scripture, Exodus 21 through 17, is the giving of the Ten Commandments. The sages say that when these are read, they should be read all in order. You shouldn't stop or cease whenever you read these words because the power of these words, God spoke these words for the people to hear. So when they are uttered again, they should be heard all in order, without ceasing, without stopping. Because believe you me, when the children of Israel were hearing these words from God, they may have wanted a pause or a break, but God delivered it in a way to where... I believe he delivered it in the way they're supposed to be heard. And that is the way that God uttered them without ceasing. So let me read uh, Exodus 20. Let me read these words. Many of us are familiar with exactly what these are, as we might have a plaque hanging in our wall uh, right now that might say them. But let me read them as they are given from the scripture here from my New King James translation. 
And God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands and those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and, and, and the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. These are the ten words, the ten commandments given by God at Mount Sinai. I'd like to talk about some of these commandments here. Wes. This is one of these listing of commandments that has made its way throughout all the world. Everybody knows what the Ten Commandments are. Even those that are not believers know what the Ten Commandments are. But even Christians who maybe have questioned the validity of the Old Testament and what commandments we follow, they still believe in the Ten Commandments. They still hang the plaques and the posters in their Christian bookstores, and they have people to remember these are the Ten Commandments. It's interesting because this has become a debate throughout all of the believers of God, especially when you're talking about the the questions between our New Covenant brethren who believe in Yeshua of Nazareth, the Messiah, and that then you question whether they are to keep the commandments of God that are given to us in the Torah through Moses at Mount Sinai. And so the question always comes, it's like, well, what commandments do we keep? Well, when you look at the commandments of Torah, The Jews say that there are 613 of them. We have all the commandments that come all the way through Leviticus, and we're talking about the kosher laws, and we're talking about all the other laws and commandments, the sacrifices that were to be made. And when you go and say, these are the commandments of God, you have many New New Testament, New Covenant brethren that would say, well, except the Messiah came to do away with that law, that that is that's legalism and that's and those are only for the Jews but the messiah came and he gave a new law or a different law than these what i would hope to do is i would hope to clarify exactly what that means and also exactly the words of what the messiah said when it came to the commandments now let me start by talking about this when you're talking about all the commandments that there are to keep 
for the children of Israel when we have all the commandments throughout Deuteronomy and the things that we are to do with one another, for one another, all of these things. There's commandments for wives. There's commandments to love their husbands. There's commandments for priests and how they are to operate the sanctuary and the tabernacle. And there's commandments for old men and commandments for young men and how they are to interact with one another. There's all these various types of commandments. If you really were to boil it all down to how many commandments does each person have to keep, these ten pretty much have you covered these 10 that's it talking about commandments of morality the whole last six of them you shall not murder commit adultery steal bear false witness and covet anything that belongs to your neighbors these are commandments about morality these are the ones that are logical make sense even secular people believe in these commandments it's the first five that we struggle with a whole lot more also, one other thing I'd love to clarify, too, is that according to the rabbis and when it comes to the commandments of the Lord, there's always been a question. What exactly is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? If you go to buy your plaque at your Christian bookstore, what you'll often see for commandment one is you shall have no other gods before me. Now, yes, God did say that. However, that's not the first thing that God said. God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Not so much a direct commandment to the people to say, do this. But how about establish an authority and something to hold on to before you understand the rest of those words. And that is this. I am the Lord your God. Believe in me. Believe in me that I have done these things. According to Judaism and the Talmudic sources, that is the first commandment. That is the first commandment to say, I am the Lord your God. The second commandment is, have no other gods before me. Also, don't make a graven image and worship them. That that's kind of all tied together. And so there's sometimes some question as to what exactly is the first commandment. Now, according to others, especially within the uh, Lutherans and the Catholics, they actually reorder and renumber all of these things to even say that the fourth commandment, which is remember the Sabbath day, they actually say that's the third commandment. And then when they get down to the commandment about coveting, they separate out covering belongings and covering, coveting your neighbor's wife. And so sometimes you may have heard a different numbering, understand that there's kind of a different list between Protestant Christianity, between Catholicism, and between Judaism. But no one stands against or disputes that these are the words that God did say. What I'd like to point out when it comes to believing and doing these commandments within our hearts, the Messiah came, Yeshua of Nazareth, came and he taught Torah. He taught these commandments. And when he said, if you love me, keep my commandments, he was talking about the commandments. If he existed before time, he existed here at this place, that he was present with God here at Mount Sinai, then these are his commandments. These are the commandments that he is talking about and what it really boils down to it boils down to the commandment of love because that's what he said It's like what is the greatest commandment and he answered them and he said love the lord your god with all your heart soul and mind and then they said and then he said the second greatest commandment is like the first and it says love your neighbor as yourself little known fact most people don't know that commandment comes from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. So usually that book of Leviticus that's usually frowned upon by a lot of uh, Christians, that's actually the source of where we get the commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the Messiah finished by saying, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And this is the teaching of the Messiah. 
Now this actually, this is the teaching from ancient times. Now, this is not a new teaching. This is not something that I can take credit for. But this is what the way I really like to look at this, is this word picture. You have two tablets of stone that have the Ten Commandments. You've got the first five on one tablet. You've got the second five on another tablet. You can take a nail and you can write on the nail, love God. And you can put that in the wall and you hang the first tablet on that nail. That the first five commandments have to do with your love and how you worship and believe. Believe in God. You believe in Him. And you love Him. And that that holds up that entire tablet is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. If you do that, you will keep all the first five of the commandments. If you love Him, you'll have no other gods before Him. If you love Him, you won't take His name in vain. You won't make it common. You won't uh, blaspheme, blaspheme the name of God. And also that last one, the fifth one, honor your father and mother. How can you honor your father and mother? That's what you can see, see if you don't, if you then say, you can't say you love God and say you don't love or honor your father and mother. There's an intimate relationship there and that's why that commandment, honoring your father and mother, has to be tied with how you love and what is your relationship with God. Also, remember the Sabbath day. This is the first appointed time of God. This is when God desires to meet with us. And when it comes to a covenant, let me ask you this. Do long distance relationships really work over long periods of time? If you if you have marry your wife and then you never see her, you never get together with them, you, you never come together with those that you are in relationship with. Is that truly what a covenant is supposed to be? Is that truly what that is? Of course not. You're supposed to convene with one another, meet with one another. That's what the point and the purpose of the appointed times are. The first appointed time being the Sabbath day. That is the day that God rests and he asked for us to join with him and dwell with him on the Sabbath day. And that shows the importance of us and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That is what the first five commandments all are tied to is loving God and how with all of our heart, with all of our soul and with all of our might. The last five, beginning with you shall not murder, you can take a nail and you say, love your neighbor as yourself. You can stick that in the wall and hang the second tablet on that nail. Because that is how we, if we're ever going to murder somebody or commit adultery or steal or bear false witness, we're going to do so. The first thing we're going to break is we're going to not be loving our neighbor when we go and commit those things. Another way to look at it also, the last commandment about coveting something, you will, you will not murder or steal something unless you covet something that belongs to somebody else or you covet something after somebody has been killed. That's, you will commit that sin before you commit any of the others. And all of that boils down to loving your neighbor as yourself. All of these things all come down to love. That's what this is all about. In fact, if we're talking about that, I'm going to go to the New Testament now a couple of times. Let's first go to Romans, where Paul taught this and, and this whole thing about that, those last five commandments of the Ten Commandments being associated with loving our neighbor. Yeah, Paul completely spilled the beans on this in Romans chapter 13. This is exactly how he described it in Romans 13, starting at verse 8. He says this, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, that does not mean that when you love somebody, then that has done away with the whole idea or the concept of these commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness. That doesn't mean that love replaces them. No, that means if you love, and if you love appropriately, then all those other things are a part of it. It's like taking a glass of marbles and you got five marbles for those commandments and you put those marbles in a glass and you're like, can you say the glass is filled? And you say, "Uh, yeah, it's full of marbles. But then you take water and you pour it over all of that and you fill the glass all the way to the top. And it's all like, now is the glass full? Okay, yes. Now the glass is full. Yeah, all that water that you pour over, that's love. That covers all of those other things and fills them up full of meaning. That doesn't mean the marbles went away and and disappeared. That means how you keep it can all be summed up in the concept of love. Now, the Apostle John has a lot to say about love when it comes to how he, when he heard the words of the Messiah and in the Gospel of John, let me go to John chapter 15, where he is always, and even through his epistles, and we'll talk about that as well, that this concept of love, how, how do we love one another? How do we love God? And this, how important that commandment is. If we go to John 15 at verse 10, it says, As the Father loved me, starting at verse 9, I'm sorry. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. This is the Messiah speaking, that if anybody ever comes to you and says that, oh, uh, uh, the Messiah, He had two new commandments, just love God and love your neighbor as yourself, and that He Himself didn't keep, uh, didn't keep the Torah or the commandments. Take Him right here to John 15, verse 10, where He says, by His own words, He says, I have kept my Father's commandments. Not His own commandments, Because think about this for a second. If God said, or the Messiah said, okay, I give you a new commandment, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you love me, keep my commandments. And if you think the commandments you're supposed to keep are only those two, then the Messiah basically is saying, if you love me, then love me. That doesn't make any sense. If that's the only commandment that he's talking about, saying, keep my, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, then Love me, if that's the only commandment we're talking about. That doesn't make any sense. The Messiah didn't say something so simple as that. He spoke of the commandments that his father gave. And yet he himself, I believe, he was there at Mount Sinai. He gave those commandments. The commandments of Moses in our Torah is the commandments that we're talking about. Now, let's go to 1 John, to the letters of John here. Let's go first to uh, 1 John 2. At verse 7, he says this, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which is a, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. He's elaborating on this new commandment that is being given, but it's not a new commandment. It's been with us since the beginning, and that commandment is love. 
He sums it up in his second letter. He, the second letter of John is interesting because it's a great summary of pretty much the entire first letter of 1 John. Where he says this in Second uh, John at verse 5. Now I plead with you, not as though I wrote a new commandment, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. The Apostle John understands this entire, he, he understands this. To walk according to the commandments is to love. And this is a commandment that has been from the beginning. If we use the same logic that some of our brethren use to where they say uh, the Messiah came and he gave us new commandments and it replaced the old. But the Apostle John is saying we had the commandment of love since the very beginning. So if love has been around since the beginning and then Moses came along with the covenant of Mount Sinai, did the covenant of Mount Sinai replace the covenant of love that has been from the beginning? Of course not. May it never be. God forbid that one replaces the other. The Apostle John is explaining all of this in perfect detail. If we go back to 1 John to chapter 4, at verse 7, he says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not, ha- does not love does not know God, for God is love. If this, the love of God, was manifest toward us, then God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. If this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. This is, the, the, this is the understanding of how to keep the commandments of God. Not that they have been replaced, but we have to remember the, true, the foundation of these commandments. Not that they have been done away with by love, but understanding that loving God, if you love Him, you have to do what He says. You can't follow a ruler or a king and say, yes, I believe in Him, He's the ruler of the land but then not obey anything that he says. Then that makes you a traitor. That makes you a liar. That makes You can't say that you believe in this ruler, but then do nothing of what he says. That is the same logic that those that would say, oh, I believe in God, but we don't have to do the commandments. And we don't have to follow the commandments that we're given. That's not how it works. That is why the commandments are the, that's how you follow and that's how you prove that you believe in God. That's not how you get saved. You don't be saved because you kept commandments. The children of Israel were already saved by grace through faith from the bondage of, of slavery. And then they were given these commandments to show them how to live and walk uprightly before God. You don't keep the commandments to be saved. You keep the commandments because you've been saved. That is what it is to follow God, and that's what, it, that's what it means. If you go to the very last chapter in all of Scripture, you go to Revelation chapter 22, and it says this at the very end of our entire book of the Bible, this is, so start to finish, it says this, verse 14, Revelation 22, Blessed are those who do His commandments. That we, that they may have the right to the tree of life and enter through the gates of the city. This is, this is what it is all about to keep the commandments. And so anyone that might come along and say, oh, well, uh, yeah, the commandments were done away with or they've only been done. That's not the Bible that I'm reading. All the way to the very end of time, going into the kingdom of God, according to Revelation, which this John, again, it's the same guy speaking. It was the Revelation to John. 
that he says, those that enter into the gates, those that are there at the end, are the ones who kept the commandments of God. The commandments have not been done away with. Now, people have interpreted the words of the Messiah to say that he has replaced them with commandments. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. No, he's quoting Torah. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6 when he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. He's quoting Leviticus 19.18 when he says, Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the commandments, but what he's giving you is a teaching to say all the commandments can be summed up in these. It's a, it's a teaching tactic to where you say, look, you have all these commandments. How are we ever going to follow God? How can we ever remember every single one of the commandments to believe in God and do all of these commandments? Well, it's like, man, there's just there's 613 of them. It's just so daunting to think that we have to keep all of these commandments. The Messiah is making it simpler for us and saying, look, if you can just do this one thing, then all the others are fulfilled in doing that commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Believe in Him. In doing so, the rest of these commandments will be easy. They will not be burdensome to you. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Love them as yourself. Love them so that then you won't do anything to harm them. All of these other commandments, murdering, adultery, steal. If you love them, you wouldn't do those things either. It's a teaching that makes it simple so that we can understand the commandments. If you read them all as a whole, it's overwhelming. It's like, it's like trying to drink water out of a fire hose sometimes. If you're trying to, to get all of these commandments, and many new believers, new messianic believers, have tried to do this. When you have all these commandments and, and, and you're just like, if you feel like you can't, uh, you can't take it all in or you're feeling overwhelmed and then you, sometimes you're amazed at what the things you read in your scripture that you never heard before. But at times you can become so zealous that you miss the point. So zealous that you forget, and I've seen it time and time again with Messianic believers who turn back to the Torah and the commandments and they forget what Yeshua said about the commandments. Many of us are New Testament, New Covenant believers and and, and born-again Christians before we become Messianic. And when we become so zealous to see the commandments and try to follow all of them, we almost forget that the Messiah taught us how to do these things and how to do them right and how to do them better so so that we can... He gives us a new commandment, a renewed commandment, one that we failed to keep. See, that's what... The children of Israel did. They tried to keep all these commandments, but they kind of did it without the love. They didn't do it with the love necessary to understand how to follow them truly and appropriately. If you just try to do the commandments, then you're going to become very strict. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do it this way. And this commandment was to me, and it's not to you. And so we're going to do these commandments. And you follow it to a T. That's not done in love. And that's the problem with when it comes to teaching children in our homes and that if you just set up these strict guidelines and say, do this and don't do that, where's the love? But we have to remember what love is. Love is God. Love is the God that gave these commandments. And he did so because he desired to dwell with us and to give us peace. Give us a peace that goes beyond understanding when we dwell in his presence. And that's what doing the commandments should bring us. If you try to follow the commandments of God and you don't have peace in your life in the process of doing it, if you're not encouraged and and strengthened and you just have a, a peace that goes beyond all understanding as you follow 
the commandments, if you don't feel that way, then I would do some self-reflection and to see and double check. Are you keeping the commandments the right way? Are you doing it appropriately? Because that is how we follow the commandments. They have to be done in love. And that is the entire testimony of the Apostle John. And that's what many of the words that are in the New Testament are about. Not that these things are done away with, but that to do them right and appropriately, it all has to be done in love. And so that's, I mean, almost, if you're going to read these scriptures, I almost want to say... Love. If you love God, then have no other gods before him. If you love God, make no carved image. If you love God, then don't take his name in vain. And then, if you love your neighbor, you shall not murder. If you love your neighbor, you shall not commit adultery. Because those are the very commandments that all the law and the prophets hang. Now, after these words were given, we'll close out our uh, portion here with the end of Exodus 20. It says that the thunderings and the lightnings came and the sound of the trumpet and all the people stood. They trembled. They stood afar off. And they said to Moses, they said this, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Okay, so God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, gave them water from a rock, gave them food in the wilderness, protected them in battle, and then he's going to bring them to a mountain to where he's going to speak so loud that they're going to die. I don't think they're getting the point. They, like I said before, this people were not ready to hear the voice of God. They feared and they trembled. And so they, they said this. They said, Moses, you be the intercessor. You go, you speak to God. Whatever he says to you, come back and tell us and we'll do. That has established now all the giving of the rest of the commandments that we will have. Going into next week, we'll have a whole lot of commandments that were all written in, down in a book by Moses to be delivered to the people because this is how the covenant was established. One of the other things that I truly believe, and this always has been in my heart, it's a theory of mine when it comes to the people that were at the mountain who heard the voice of God. They weren't ready to be in covenant with God. They still feared. They were trembling. And they did not make it. They didn't make it to the promised land. But their children did. And now if we believe here in modern times that we are truly descendants of the ancients, if these were our, our fathers, and as I said, and also, also got to double check and remind everybody of this, this wasn't just the children of Israel, the native born of the household of Israel. It was a mixed multitude. It was multiple tribes. It wasn't just the Jews that received these commandments. There was people of the nations and Egyptians that were there and dwelt with them and were a part of Israel. And they were joined in together with Israel and they heard these commandments. The commandments were for them as well. So all of us that are all descendants of the ancients, whatever DNA markers are in our, are in our DNA that determine whether we're really of Israel or whether, whether we're of the nations, we don't really know because this was a mixed multitude that heard these words. Don't let anybody ever tell you that it was only for the Jews and it's only for Israel. No, if you identify with Israel and desire to be in the family of Israel, in the commonwealth of Israel, then these commandments are for you as well. But what I believe is this, is that the same voice that thundered these words from Mount Sinai is the same voice that created the world with the power of his voice. He spoke and things were created. Do you think it's possible that when God spoke to these people and they heard that voice, that the power of God had the ability to write something into their lives, into their hearts, and change them, fundamentally change the creation that they were, that would then almost be reflected even into all of their descendants that came after them? 
This is my theory. That anyone today, whoever hear these words or sense the presence of God or hear from God or hear the word of God, and they feel a stirring within their heart and it's, it like almost calls them back to calls them back home that they have this sense in their heart that it's all like these are my commandments it's almost like as if I've heard them before what I believe is that I believe the powerful voice of God that created the world put something into those people so much so that their descendants after them would hear the words and the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah and the word of the Lord that then that would cause a stirring within them for them to turn back to God I believe that is what is going on in this generation today. When you have people, you have people who have a love for Israel that have no reason to have a love for Israel. Or who have a stirring within their heart, within their soul, to believe in these things. And there's people that are coming out of the church that just have a stirring in their heart that it's like, you know, there's something more. I believe it's very possible that they are a direct descendant of the ancients who had something written on their hearts by the voice of God that thundered from Mount Sinai. Now, I believe that through the great gathering of all the saints and of all the restoration of the whole house of Israel, those people will be stirred and will return back and they will have people caught up with them to bring them back as well. So it's not just about who's native born and who is naturally born of Israel, but it's about that is how God will in the last days bring everyone back. And when he utters his voice, that something in our hearts are turned and stirred and something that's been there since the beginning, is what causes us to turn and love God and follow Him and follow His words. That's a theory of mine that I believe is what is going on in this day and age. And it begins here with the power and the voice of God uttered from Mount Sinai. What an amazing God that we serve, that He desires to dwell with us. He gives us these words and the instructions. He has saved us. And since He has saved us, we should then follow and obey what he has said. We don't get saved by doing what he says. We prove that we love him and have accepted his salvation by doing what he has says, said and follow the commandments of God. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for your teaching and instruction. We thank you for the Torah portion of Yithro. Father, we thank you for the giving of the Ten Commandments, for the example of the children of Israel, for us to follow, Lord. Father, you have chosen us above all peoples, Lord, for you have called us a peculiar treasure to you, Father. And Father, our ancestors accepted that proposal, Father, and we are in covenant with you. So, Father, I pray that we would confess our iniquities and our sins, that we would turn back to the covenant that you have made with us, Lord, and that if we do so, Lord, that you will remember the covenant that we have. So, Father, we love you, Father. You have done so much for You are so good to us, even though we have sinned, even though we have gone astray, Father. Father, I pray that you would just cause the hearts and minds of the people to turn back to you. Teach us how to keep these commandments, Lord, in love and how to do them appropriately. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. So, because, Father, if we do not love our neighbor, Lord, how can we confess our love in you? So, Father, teach us, Lord. Teach us your ways. Teach us your commandments, Lord. Write them upon the tablets of our heart and not upon the tablets of stone, Lord, but upon our heart, a heart of flesh, Lord, that receives your word and lives by it. So, Father, we love you, bless you, and thank you on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. And now the blessing after the Torah. 
Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher nathan lanu Torah temet, v'chai alam natah betocheinu, Baruch atah Adonai, nonten ha-Torah ha-Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth, and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When the sun has set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home. Families will gather all around singing Shabbat Shalom. Everybody sing. Put a smile upon your face 